Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. My name is James, married to Sophie, and a father to Zoe, another one on the way. And this is my third Father's Day, okay? Come on, yeah, yeah, third Father's Day. I'm experienced dad now, got it all down pat. Nothing surprises me anymore. Second child's going to be an absolute breeze, right? (laughs) Crushing it. But what happened is a similar time I became a dad, I also became the the youth, I oversaw the youth ministry at our Ormo campus. So I started doing the same thing, both of those at the same time, and um, I got to be honest, the two of those two, those two things together over the last couple of years have made me feel so much older than I've ever felt before in my life, right? Cirque says that he's a daggy dad, and that's exactly what I've been feeling over the last couple of years. And look at me, I try everything in my power to not be a daggy dad, right? The kids at youth told me that I was losing all of my hair, so I grew it long to try and be cool, try and have like a last hurrah, you know, be cool just before I lose it all. They told me that um, dads won't get nose piercings, so I got my nose pierced this year because what cool dad, only cool dads are doing that, right? They told me that skinny jeans weren't cool anymore, so I bought baggier jeans, right? It's not as baggy as Hannah, <laughs> but it's pretty close. I feel like I'm in the 2000s again, right? They, um, I started wearing a hat almost exclusively every day because I thought it made me look cooler, it made me look younger, more relatable. I just didn't want to be an uncool, daggy dad. You know, <laughs> as hard as I've tried, on a cold morning, I still wake up and my bones ache, right? As hard as I've tried, I do everything in my power to try and be cool, but as hard as I try, I still can't stay awake past 10 p.m. at night. You know, I do everything in my power to try and be cool, but I am so sad to admit that I think my music taste has plateaued, right? I think I'm going to be listening to the same music for the rest of my life, and I hate that, right? To top it all off, the other week, Soph was reminding me that it was Father's Day today. She said, what do you want for Father's Day? You know what we decided on? What I needed was socks, jocks, and a new pair of slippers. Come on. That is uncool dad, right? (laughs) Thanks, Leia. I don't know if it means much coming from you at the moment after listening to that. No, Cirque's Cirque's is cool. I like it. It's inevitable, right? We're all going to get older. I'm going to become uncool, and I've got to be okay with that. It's inevitable. But the reality is, is I have this problem. And all the resources I throw at it, if I grow my hair out long, if I get my nose pierced, I wear baggier clothes, everything I throw at it, I'm still going to get older, right? It's inevitable. I can't fix it on my own with what I've got. My resources aren't enough. You know, the story that I want us to look at tonight is a similar story for the disciples. Come on, how's that for a transition? Socks and jocks to Jesus. Nailed it. <laughs> All right, before we get into the passage, I want us to uh, just have a look. Um, uh, uh, I just want to have a look at the backstory of what we're going to be looking at a little bit tonight. So I'm sure a bunch of us all know, but the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospels, right? Gospels, it used to come from a word called Godspell, meaning good story or older in the Latin, good news, all right? It's written by the four dudes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the thing about these guys is all of them except for Luke spent a lot of time with Jesus, 
right? He was their mentor. They were his disciples, his apostles. And for Luke, even though he didn't know Jesus personally, he was a well-researched man, right? It says that he was a doctor, a physicist, I don't know, someone smart, right? Luke was someone smart, and he did a lot of research. He interviewed a lot of people that were around at the time. And so his, his story of Jesus is also carefully and meticulously constructed. But for most of these guys, what they write about is stuff that they're experiencing in person, you know, they saw it firsthand, and so the Gospels are just a reflection of their own experiences. And, and what's interesting is that they all write about this experience from a different perspective. You know, they all write about it from their own perspective. So if Matthew saw something that Jesus did, and you know, that was important, that, that impacted him in a way that it was really powerful, he would, he would write about that. It's in his account of his Gospel. But then if Mark saw the same thing, it wasn't as important, he didn't account for it, right? It's not in his. And so they just wrote about what was important to them. And so we get a bunch of different stories across all of the different Gospels, right? Because they're all writing about their perspectives. But the only thing that they write about besides the death and the resurrection is a story that I want us to look at tonight. It's the one thing that unites all of them besides the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's the only miracle recorded in all of them. And so I want us to look at it tonight in, in Luke's point of view. And so to set the scene for the story, I'll get to it in a moment, but to set the scene, I just want to let us know a couple of things before we jump into this miracle. Firstly, in, in the book of Luke, it says, just before we jump into this miracle, Jesus has given the disciples all authority and power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. So he gives them this authority, this power. He sends them out into the cities around him and, and to, to do that, to, to cast out demons, to, to heal the sick, to bring the good news, right? To share the story of God to all of those. And so they do that. And as this story starts, they're coming back to Jesus and they want to tell him about all the awesome things that they've been up to, okay? That's the first thing I want us to know. The second thing I want us to know is that when we see this in Luke, is well, just before this miracle, Jesus gets some really unfortunate news, right? He's, his friend John the Baptist has just passed away, or he's been killed, rather. He's been murdered. And, you know, these guys are good friends. They knew each other before they were even born in the womb. It says John leapt or kicked or something in, in his mother's womb, right? They knew, they were friends. They knew each other. Jo John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And so Jesus has just found out that his good friend John the Baptist has been murdered by King Herod. And the third thing that I want us to know tonight is that everywhere that Jesus went, the crowds were sure to go, right? Like Mary had a little lamb, everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Everywhere that Jesus went, the crowds were sure to go, right? I know all the nursery rhymes now that I'm a dad, come on, crushing it. So those are th three things I want us to know, right? Jesus has got all his disciples coming back. They want to tell him everything that's going on. He's got this really terrible news about his good friend. And so he wants to get away, but they can't escape the crowds, Right, so that's where we pick up the story. Um, there, that's where we pick up the story, yeah. So Jesus is in this little town called Gennesaret or Capernaum. We're not quite sure where, but somewhere on the northeastern coast of the Sea of Ga northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. He's going to travel across to the east. Let's get the picture up. Great. So we see on the left over here, we've got Gennesaret and Capernaum. Jesus is somewhere in that area. It's a built-up area. And what happens is he's going to sail across with his disciples to this place called Bethsaida on the other side, right? But unfortunately, as you can see, they're just sailing around the top, so the crowds can see where they are sailing, right? So they watch Jesus and the disciples sail around, and they just walk around. So as Jesus is arriving with the disciples on the shore of Bethsaida, so are the crowds, okay? And so that's where we pick the story up in Luke uh, chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, open them to Luke 9. We're going to start at verse 10. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. Right? We've covered that. But what does it say that Jesus does? It says that he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. 
And I want us to stop there just, just for a moment before we actually get into the miracle. You see, I find it interesting. Jesus is trying to escape from these crowds, but when they persist and when they follow him, he doesn't get frustrated or angry or cross. And instead, Luke says that he welcomes them. Now, even though it's the opposite of what he was trying to accomplish in getting away from the crowds, he welcomes them. I want you to put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a moment, right? Imagine you just got, it's been a crazy week, you're completely peopled out, you've got some bad news, maybe you're stressed about work or whatever's going on, you just need to find your own place. So you go and you try and find your own place and just as you think you've found it, everything that you're trying to get away from, everything you're trying to escape from comes and harasses you again, right? Saying, we want more of you, we, we, we're not done yet, we're not finished, we want more. And what would your response be? Now, would it be like, Jesus's, would it be to welcome them? And that's what Luke says he does. He welcomes them in. And you know, that welcome word is an interesting one because we say every Sunday here at Gateway, we say that everyone who comes to Gateway is welcome, right? But in the New Testament, it's actually only used a couple of times. And this word welcome means he showed them compassion. He had compassion for them, right? Here he is trying to get away. He's just gotten bad news about a friend. He was brutally murdered. He's trying to have this conversation with his disciples. The disciples want to have this conversation with him as well, but they can't escape the people. They can't escape the crowds to have this conversation. In the midst of all of this, Jesus' response is to show compassion towards them. Right in the midst of everything going on for him, his response is to show compassion towards them. And so Luke continues to say in the rest of that story, he says that he welcomed them in and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Then late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowds away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And it makes a note that there's about 5,000 men there, but we're going to say there's 10,000 people, including women and children, which we should be doing, right? So there's 10,000 people there, and Jesus, and Jesus says to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now the chances are you've probably heard this story before, right? It's a, it's a pretty famous story, especially in Christian circles. You could probably recite it for me, maybe even word to word, but... The thing is about these miracle stories in the Bible is that so often it's not just about the miracle, right? God is actually trying to reveal something else to us through the miracle. And this is obviously an important situation. This is something that's impacted each of the writers of the gospel. So it's important. So the question I want us to ask today is, what is God trying to teach us from this story? Yeah, what is the message that he has got in it for us? What is he trying to reveal about himself? How is he trying to tell us to relate with him and with those around us? And so tonight, there's three points that I want us to focus on. It's real simple. Three points. Each has a really practical application for us as well. And so the first point that I want us to focus on tonight is that in this story, anybody and everybody is welcome. Right? You, we've established already that Jesus showed compassion towards all these people, that he welcomed them in, that he continued to teach them, that he continued to heal the sick. But here are the disciples, and they're trying to help Jesus out by saying, you know, hey, let's turn these people around. It's, it's, it's getting late. We need to send them home so they can have shelter and they can have some food. Right? They're trying to help Jesus. But you see, Jesus had taken these disciples, and he'd gone to this remote place. If we get that map back up again, they'd gone to this remote place called Bethsaida. So he's taken... 
his disciples away from the towns, away from everything at uh, Gennesaret and Capernaum. He's taken them to this place that's remote. You know, if you look on Google Images at what Bethsaida looks like, it looks almost exactly the same. I couldn't get any images today because I didn't want to do any copyright stuff, so that's my bad. But it looks almost exactly the same as it did back then. It's just rolling hills, right? It's absolutely beautiful. But this place is remote. And so Jesus has left the cities to be in this remote place by himself, a place where there was nothing, no towns, no shops, no food, no shelter, just empty land. You know, there's ever an excuse to tell people they're not welcome. It's like, hey, we've got nothing to offer you. Please go away. Right? And so that's what the disciples are trying to initiate for Jesus. And you know, I imagine they're starting to get a little bit frustrated themselves. Right? This is their alone time with Jesus to tell them everything that's been going on. And so they say to him, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lod- lodging. But that's not what Jesus does, right? He doesn't send them away because anybody and everybody is welcome. Even at this inconvenient moment, even though it inconveniences Jesus, everybody is welcome. And more than that, they're not just welcome. He doesn't say, hey, they're adults. They can fend for themselves. They can, they can organize themselves. They've got it covered. He doesn't say that. He says, actually, you know what? We're going to feed them as well. He goes one step further and feeds them too. And, and I think he does this because he wants every person in that crowd, every man, woman, and child, to know that they are welcome in his presence, Right, to feel like they have a seat in Jesus' presence, similar to what Cirques was saying a little bit earlier. That's what he wants everyone to do. He wants to, everyone to know that they have a seat at his table. And I think that's God's heart for his church as well. That everyone has a space here. Everyone is welcome here. And that's our heart for this church here at Gateway, that everyone and anybody and everybody would be welcome. And you know, Jesus has demonstrated it for us in this service, in this um, miracle but it actually takes us doing something to make it a reality. And I think the challenge for us sometimes is that we tend to be a little bit like the disciples. They say, hey, Jesus, this is the more rational answer. This is the more rational decision. This is what we should be doing. Now, we say every single Sunday that everybody is welcome at Gateway. We have a welcome team whose job it is to welcome people. And so it's so easy for us to say that that's not my job. Right? That's not for me to do. I'm, I'm, I've done what my job is and I've done enough for today. But you see, Jesus didn't just welcome everyone that came to him. He also went above and beyond to provide for them. And you know, I'm, this does sound terrible, but their presence was an inconvenience to Jesus. He was trying to escape, but he didn't let that stop him from welcoming them in. In fact, he actually went above and beyond and provided for them as well. And so for us to be a welcoming church... There needs to be something that each of us owns for ourselves. You know, what does it look like for you to go above and beyond to make this church a welcoming place? You know, to reflect the compassion that Jesus shows to each of us, to those around us. It can sound silly, but sometimes it feels like too much of an inconvenience for us to walk across the room to go and talk to someone that we don't know or someone who we think might be new. And we tell ourselves that someone else will do it. It's someone else's job. It's easy to be like the disciples and turn away and think, hey, they'll sort themselves out. They've got it covered. That's not what Jesus does, and that's not his heart for his people either. Jesus made the effort, and we need to as well. Anybody and everybody is welcome to Jesus, and that needs to be our attitude as well. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy, right? But it is something that each of us have to own. It's easy when each of us own it together. And So in order for this to be a church where anybody and everybody is welcome, we each need to play our part. Okay, and the second thing I want us to focus on this story today is actually the importance of community. 
Right? You know, I think each of us know that community is important for our life. We've got enough life experience to know that it's important. And I know it might be an interesting thing to pull out of this story, but I reckon God is wanting to teach us tonight that meaningful community is important. And it's, it's vital, you know. It's actually necessary. It's part of God's design for us. And so as we look to this story, as Jesus is preparing to feed the 5,000, right? He's got the loaves and he's got the fish. But what does he do? Right? He asks people to sit down in groups of around 50. But why does he do that? Right? It's an interesting thing for Jesus to do. And so to understand it, I think we need to take a look back at what I was saying about this place called Bethsaida. Right? It's remote. It's far away from anything. It's about a 10 to 15 kilometer walk from where they would have been. So it's a couple of hours walk. And this is probably one of the reasons that the disciples are saying, hey, Jesus, let's send them back. Because they know it's going to be a couple of hours walk back as well. But the thing we need to know about this day and age is that it's actually unsafe to travel alone. Right? You need to travel in groups. So as we look at Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem before Jesus is born, it's more than likely they were traveling in a large group back to Bethlehem because it was safer. And if we hear this, the story of the, the, the Good Samaritan, it's probably a story because that person was traveling alone. It was unsafe to travel alone. And so these group of people, all 10,000 or more of them, are traveling to Bethsaida together. And I don't know if you've ever been to a a stadium, like a sports stadium after a, 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 a game or something like that with more than 10,000 people. But as you try and leave, is absolute carnage, right? It's havoc. And so that's how I imagine the people are arriving at Bethsaida, like, like this stadium. But how are they going to leave? Well, I like to imagine that they're going to leave in probably groups of about 50. Right? You see, Jesus pulled them into these smaller groups to teach us an important lesson about the value of community. Not only would the community help to divide the food so they could feed everyone but one, but it's actually going to help them and protect them on their way home as well, on their journey home, because they could protect one another. They could support one another. They were there for one another. Community's important, right? There's actually another story in the Bible that I want us to look at really briefly um, to help illustrate this point a little bit more. But I actually wonder what is the, the first couple of things that come to mind when I mention King David. I, let's call them out. I want, I want to hear some of the answers. What, what first comes to mind, springs to mind when I say King David? On the rooftop, yep. Bathsheba, anything else? Writer of the Psalms, that's great. Anything else? The cave from Saul, that's great. There's a lot of awesome things that David's done, right? We, we say that he's, what was that? Goliath, that's pretty epic. <laughs> I like the sword fight. There's a lot of awesome things that David has done, right? Often we say that he's a man after God's own heart, shortly followed by Bathsheba, right? It was the first thing we said tonight. That's what we think about, right? Unfortunately, a lot of good, some not so good. That's like the scope of David, man after God's own heart, Bathsheba, right? It's just what we think about. And it's unfortunate, but it's true, and I'm sure most of us know the story, but essentially David is out on his rooftop, he's overlooking the city, it must be beautiful, it must be nice owning a palace, right? But as he's up there enjoying the view, he can't help but notice that there's another lovely woman bathing on a rooftop nearby, okay? So being the king and having the power, he's like, all right, I'm going to summon her. So he summons her to the palace, they sleep together, she falls pregnant. But the complication, this is like an episode of Love Island, right? But the complication is, is that she's actually already married, and she's married to one of David's soldiers called Uriah. And so David, realizing his mistakes, decides that he's going to have to fix this. So he calls Uriah back home in the hopes that Uriah is going to go back to his wife, sleep with her, and just assume that the child is his. 
But that doesn't work. Out of loyalty to David and loyalty to the army, Uriah decides not to go back home. Instead, wait and waits to be sent back to battle. And so David's like, oh, come on. And so he changes his tack. He sends Uriah back into battle. But this time on the front lines where he's surely going to be killed. Right? It's a terrible story. You see, David is doing all of this to hide his mistake. He's building this web of lies and as we read it, we, we see his life, his values just kind of unravel before us. We can read the whole story in, in 2 Samuel, but you know, I think it all stems from this one mistake. And it wasn't the mistake of sleeping with Bathsheba, although that is a mistake. I actually think it stems from something earlier than that. We read it right in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. Rabbah, I don't know how to pronounce. I should have looked that up before I read it. Besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem, right? David sent away all of his men. He sent away his army, but he remains in Jerusalem. He sent away his friends, his brothers, the people who would keep him accountable, the people that would say, hey, David, that's a terrible idea. You shouldn't do that. The people who would call him out. He sent them all away, and it's in his isolation here in Jerusalem where he makes one of the worst decisions of his life. You know, it doesn't take much to see that we were created to live in community. People are searching for it everywhere. It's one of the greatest blessings of being part of a church is that we have this community, a group of different people from all walks of life, from all different backgrounds and stories, united under Christ. A community of people who love each other, who challenge each other, who encourage each other, who push each other towards Christ and are there for each other. And besides obvious reasons, I actually think community is one of the best parts of being part of a church. You know, when I was growing up in, in Cairns, and I'm sure it was the same here, but we used to have this joke that you could always tell a youth ministry or youth group out in public, right? If you saw, if you saw a bunch of kids out in public, you could always tell if it was a youth group because there's always this weird mixed match of kids that you would never expect to be hanging out with each other. That's community, right? And I love it. I absolutely love it. A bunch of different people from all different walks of life doing life together. That's how God has created us to be. And so if there's any part of you here tonight that is resistant to the idea of community, if there's that voice in your head telling you that you can do it on your own, then let me encourage you to take a lesson from David's story. He was a man after God's own heart. Often we talk about him being this awesome Christian leader, this great Christian, but when in isolation, he couldn't do it, right? He didn't measure up. And so just like the huge crowd would need the support of the community to make it home safely after the feeding of the 5,000, we each need the support and encouragement of our community in our lives and on our journey of faith. And so if you think this is something you can do on your own, I hate to tell you, but you're believing a lie. That God never meant for faith to be lived out alone. Community offers you protection. It offers you encouragement. It, it, it's a thing that gets you through when it gets hard. Not if it gets hard, because it is going to get hard, but community is a thing that pulls you through. A group of people who say, I've got you. I'm here for you. I want to support you. I'm ready to listen. And we all need community in our life because meaning community is, meaningful community is important. And so I want to challenge you. How are you making it a priority in your life? Now here at Gateway, there's a couple of ways that you can 
help us get you connected into the community here. We'd love to have you part of the city campus here, 5 p.m. I can say that even though I'm not from here. We would love to have you part of the city campus here at the 5 p.m. And there's a couple of ways you can help us do that. Andrew alluded it to you alluded it before, but there's QR codes on your seat. You can scan that. There's a get connected form. We would love you to fill in. Maybe you've been coming here for a while, but you've never filled it in. Maybe tonight's your night to fill it in so we can keep uh, in contact with you, help you become part of the community on that form. There's also a bunch of different tick boxes. There's a heap of them, but I want to highlight one for us tonight, and it simply says that I would like to become a part of a life group. Well, what's the exact wording? Let me find the exact wording for you. Um, it would help if I read my notes, right? <laughs> anyway, it says, I can't find it. It says, that, it says that I would like to become a part of a life group. It's a great time to become a part of a life group here at Gateway. I want to I talk to you about my own journey of being a life group. Ten years ago, Sophie and I, we moved here from, from Cairns to Brisbane. We didn't know anybody. It wasn't a single person. And we started coming to this church because um, my dad kind of was connected with the church a little bit. So we're like, oh, we'll check it out. But we didn't know anyone. We wanted to meet people. So we decided, all right, we're going to try and join a life group. I need you to hear this, and I need you to believe me when I say this, but this was one of the most beneficial decisions I've made, not just for my faith journey, but for my life in general. Now, over the last 10 years, Sophie and I have journeyed with these guys through the highs of life, lots of babies, lots of marriages, lots of fun stuff, but also through the really hard times as well. And over those 10 years, the people in that life group, they've changed dramatically, but they're still some of my closest friends as well. And now, there are guys in that group that I've shared my biggest struggles in life with. They've encouraged me in so many different ways, vice versa. And you know, that doesn't happen overnight. It might not even happen in the first life group you're a part of. That's okay. You're allowed to change. You're allowed to try again. It's not the end of the world. But we have a, different, a bunch of different life groups here at Gateway. We'd love to have you a part of one of them. A group of people that you can do community and life with to be encouraged, to be supported with. Next week, we're actually starting a new series called Rhythms of Grace. It's going to be looking at a bunch of spiritual disciplines. And that would be a great series to join a life group for, right? So you can have people around you to encourage you, to support you, to keep you accountable to that as well. And so if if you're not a part of one, if you want to become a part of one, real simple, sign up tonight. Right? Click, click, follow that QR code, sign up to a live group tonight. It will be one of the best decisions you ever make. It's simple. It's easy. Meaningful community is important. We were created for it. And so how are you making it a priority in your life today? And finally, the third thing I want us to pull out of this evening's story is, is actually a line out of John's version of this account, right? So we're going to leave Luke for now. We're going to jump into the book of John. And so this, is, this happens. Jesus is breaking, just about to break the loaves of bread and the two fish. He's gotten everyone to sit down in the, in the, the groups of 5,000. He gets the disciples to sit them all down. And it says in John 6 that Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets. See, Jesus has taken the little that was given to him, he's multiplied it to not just meet the needs, but to exceed those needs. It says when they had all had enough, when everyone was full, when everyone was satisfied, Jesus sent the disciples out to collect the, the remainders and there was over 12 baskets full more than what they started with. And some of you need to take hold of that tonight, right? To remember that God doesn't just meet your needs, but He exceeds them. What He has planted in you is enough. That seed of faith that He's planted in you is enough to see that next miracle happen. 
Right? That seed of love that He's planted in you is enough to see that relationship restored. And so the third thing I want us to take away from this miracle is his, the words that Jesus says to His disciples after He takes, uh, asks them to collect the leftovers. It's real simple. It's four words. He says, let nothing be wasted. Let nothing be wasted. And we can read that. We can gloss over it. We can think it's weird. Why is Jesus concerned about what's left over? He literally created it out of nothing. Yeah, but the thing is, is, I don't think Jesus was concerned about the wasted food. I think there's a bigger lesson in this for us, right? It's not just about the food. And the, the people there, the crowd was hungry for the food. But you know, it's more than just food that we hunger for. And some of you are hungry for wisdom and guidance. You want God to show you what's next in life. Right? Some of you are hungry for some more of God's patience to help you align with His timing. Some of you are hungry for healing. Some of you are hungry for hope. Some of you are hungry for joy. You want to bring His light into your darkness. You know, some of you are hungry for His provision. And you know, just as Jesus provided more than enough for the crowd, just as He exceeded their physical hunger, often He also exceeds our needs as well. But when He does exceed those needs... Right, when God meets us right where we're at with exactly what we need, when He provides all that we need and more, what should our response be? It's simple. It's those four words, right? Let nothing be wasted. Don't waste God's provision for your life. He's a good God, a God that loves to provide for His children, so don't waste it. His provision exceeds what we need. So have you, have you been praying for hope? Did God give you hope in that situation? Do you have residual hope that you can actually share with those around you? Right? Do you have residual joy that you can bring for others? Do you have wisdom that you can enlighten others with? Let nothing be wasted. Right? All that God has provided for you, let none of it go to waste. And that's three points for us tonight, right? Three points with three really practical challenges. Firstly, anybody and everybody is welcome. How can you go out of your way to welcome those around you? Second, meaningful community is important. Now, what do you need to do to prioritize community in your own life? Do you need to join a life group? Do it tonight. Thirdly, let nothing be wasted. How is God provided for you? How are you going to share that with others? Now, what is the overflow of God's provision in your life? How are you not going to let that be wasted? Now, these aren't questions that I can answer for you or Cirques or anyone here can answer for you. These are questions you need to ask yourself. How can you challenge yourself? And I'm going to invite us all to stand tonight. We're going to wrap up right now. So why don't we jump to our feet? In a moment, we're going to sing one more song to close our service. This is a song that was just written out of a, a desire and a, and, and a want to surrender to God, right? To, to let go of all other things and put Him first. And as we sing it, I just want to offer us up one more simple invitation tonight. Nothing really to do with the other three points, but I think it's an invitation from God nonetheless. I think there are some people here tonight that are hungry to see God move in your lives, right? To see His power at work in your life. You know, the crowd was hungry for food, but as I mentioned before, maybe you're hungry for guidance, for wisdom, for, for, for hope, for healing, for joy. And that moment, and at the moment right now, you're waiting for that provision. You don't have that overflow yet, but you want it. Right? You don't want to let nothing be wasted. And tonight we'd love to be able to stand with you and, and pray with you, pray that prayer of provision over you and with you tonight. And so as the band sings, I encourage you to make yourself known by coming down the front. You come down the front, I, I promise you, you won't be left alone. People will gather, they would love to pray with you. And 
So that's you. If you're waiting to, 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 to be in that season of exceeding, of God exceeding His provision for you, you want to let nothing be wasted, but you're still on the other side of that provision, we'd love to pray with you tonight. We'd love to pray that, that prayer of hope, joy, healing, provision for you tonight. So as the band sings, make yourself known. Come down the front. We'd love to pray with you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and our locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.